0: Or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: A trick or a treat. I'm Rebecca Lieb. I'm Jason Horton. And this is Ghost Town. generally pretty contentious people have their own ideas of what they want to do on the holidays what their specific traditions are like what is good what is bad that guacamole is too many chunks in it there are way too many seeds in that poppy seed muffin whatever I don't care nothing is more contentious on any holiday ever than candy corn and today, the day that I'm recording this, the 30th, is National Candy Corn Day. It is celebrating the confection that is candy corn, its history, its identity. It was created by the National Confectioners Association. And tomorrow, which by the time you hear this, Halloween will be over, but we'll be celebrating Halloween. And there'll be candy corn aplenty everywhere. And it will be amazing. Now Again, candy corn is a very heated topic, which is why it's this Friday's fail. Nine billion pieces of candy corn are made annually, and honestly, I assume that people eat them once a year, unless you like like weird seasonal candy corn, like red and white and green ones for Christmas, or like pink ones on Valentine's Day. I don't know. I only eat them once a year, and you know, I enjoy them. I enjoy them. I'll admit it. I'll be the first to admit it, okay? You can burn me at the stake. Jason... How do you feel about candy corn?
2: I feel like candy corn is the Nickelback of candy. And I don't think Nickelback is great. I also don't think they're the worst either. And candy corn is fine. I mean, I don't love it, but I don't mind it. I feel like there's worse candy out there. And when is anyone eating it anyway beside Halloween for the most part? I don't know. I think it's something that people have kind of latched onto. And the more people do it, the more people latch onto it, how terrible it is. But it's sugar and flavor. I don't know. It's fine. I have something that's calorie free and good for you according to leading health professionals. Patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Tons of bonus episodes and it helps us do more things because things cost money and it's bonus episodes every month. There's got to be 20 something bonus episodes in there already. So if you run out, you got tons of bonus episodes. To check out. Also, if you listen to our Haunted Tales episode, there's one that my mother told that I kind of interviewed her about and got a nice message on Facebook from Ellen Flynn. I'm going to take out some of the information that kind of indicates personal information for her. You know, I just don't know if she wants me mentioning it, but this is in response to that. And my mother was very critical hearing herself on a podcast podcast. Like talking about describing things that weren't necessary, but she's an amateur. What, what are we gonna you know, there's nothing we can do about that. No, she did. She did great. It's just weird to hear herself, I guess, on a podcast when you've never heard yourself on a podcast. We don't like the sound of our own voices, so we get it. But Ellen Flynn sent a nice message on Facebook. Check out that episode and the other Halloween episodes if you're still in the mood, and you should be. Hi, Jason. Well, how surprised I was to be listening to your current episode and hear Maywood. I grew up in Maywood. I lived there from, I'm not going to say the dates, but I'm going to say it was around the time that I also lived there. Did you ever get the address of the home? Yes, I did. Did not mention it on the episode, just for people's privacy reasons, but I did do research into that home to see if there was any crimes or murders or anything strange that happened there. I had a little kind of a private investigator person that I know that helps me with these things when I need it, and did not find anything, but it only went back a certain amount of time, and it was a pretty pretty old home. I grew up at, not going to say where she grew up. I don't know if she's still there or not. Loved growing up there. I did have one paranormal experience at that house. I brought it on myself. My friend and I went to Our Lady Queen of Peace School and got a book about witches from the school library, and it had some spells in it. So we, joking around, read the spell that supposedly summoned a demon, and suddenly all the papers on my desk went flying off. No open windows, no drafts, nothing, just papers flying everywhere. We started screaming and looking frantically through the book for a counterspell. I would have never thought to, to do that. I didn't know there were counterspell books, but cool. And there it was, the spell to get rid of the demons, so we yelled it out and all became quiet. Scariest thing that ever happened to me. Anyway, cool to hear about Maywood on your podcast. Keep up the good work, Ellen Flynn. That was... I want to hear more about that. Maybe I'll, I'll press Ellen and she could uh, give us more information about that. But let's get back to something, I guess, equally scary to some people, candy corn.
1: OK, we're supporters here. I'm sorry. We're just supporters. And again, it is a fail for a couple of reasons, but not because they upset our taste buds. So what's the story of this bizarre candy? I'm going to tell you. The Trade Association claims candy corn was invented in the 1880s by a Wonderly Candy Company employee named George Renninger. Wonderly was reportedly the first to produce the candy, followed by Golitz Candy Company, which now became Jelly Belly, which I'm sure you've heard of, and it's been producing the corn since 1898. Back then, the cooking process was done by hand, all hand, a sugar and corn syrup-based mixture that was cooked into a slurry, which is kind of an inside baseball term for a semi-liquid mixture in a large kettle, and then it was dumped into buckets called runners and mended dubbed stringers and walked backwards, pouring the hot concoction into a tray of molds in the shape of, you guessed it, corn kernels. So the hip thing to do with candy companies at the time were mixing up slurries of mellow cream and molding them into shape of things that people liked, like things that people had in everyday life. It's kind of like a marzipan thing happening where you'd be like, oh, um, I have a tractor. How about I make a slurry um, of a tractor? And I can eat it. It'll be candy. It'll be a fun mallow cream treat that ref- reflective of my life and reminds me of my oppressive existence. But it'll be sweet and fun. I don't know. So they made all kinds of molds into the shape of pumpkins, chestnuts, turnips, and other agricultural products. Because farmers made up about half of the American labor force, so companies marketed agriculture-themed candies to children in farm country all year round. Candy corn was nicknamed chicken feed in the 1920s and sold in a box with a rooster on the front. Before World War I, people didn't think of corn food as human food. People thought of corn that was something that, you know, roosters and birds would consume. We've come a long way, you know? So turn of the century, however, the hip thing to do with candy companies... We're again to do this, to make these little things. And even after World War One, candy corn maintained its association with chickens. Package of Golitz's candy corn from the 1920s displayed a rooster and the motto King of Candy Corn Fields. It was nicknamed Chicken Feed in the 1920s and sold again as a little box with a little rooster on it. Candy corn then evolved a little bit to become a common penny candy. Those were the types of treats kids would buy in bulk for very little money. They're kind of like the Smarties of the 1920s and 30s. Gross, cheap, but you know what? Doable in a pinch. Kids most likely thought of these candies as something like to eat after school. They were kind of snacks year-round. They weren't really associated with Halloween specifically. They were at Halloween parties, but they were also at, you know, big holidays like Thanksgiving and Easter What really changed candy corn into Halloween candy was that Halloween itself changed. Halloween became more of a consumer-based holiday. Again, this is post-war holidays in America. Halloween before was really more about the tradition. It was more about mythology. It was more about folklore around scary things, scary places, scary experiences. It wasn't really transactional or really consumerist in its root. But in America, again, um, with this booming market that was becoming more centered around A, products that were mass consumed and B, just a giant overflow of population, became Halloween became a candy holiday. It was a very big 1950s trend to give people candy on Halloween, to have Halloween themed things that were gifts and the whole trick-or-treating as a whole. That's really rooted, again, in European folklore and culture, but we don't see the same type of zealous going to people's doors, collecting candy that we ever did until America in the 1950s, and then it spread across Europe as well. So there was a dramatic spike in October of advertising candy corn, which kind of was this vestigial part of the agricultural fun theme candies from the turn of the century. So today, candy corn is made with machines, churning out more than 35 million pounds of candy every year. Sugar and corn syrup are blended, gelatin and sugar are whipped with air, and a fondant is added, followed by yellow and orange coloring. So the fondant, it's again, the same kind of like marzipan quality that you would think with a cake. According to Dr. Richard Hartle, a food engineering professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which is my alma mater, thank you very much, fondant is a highly crystallized sugar syrup for crystallized candy, and it's breaks off easily in your mouth and doesn't have a chewy type texture that comes from the sugar, sugar crystals. Now, that's a good fondant. There's some really bad, really disgusting ones that taste like Satan. Brock's Candy Factory's cornstarch molding machine puts cornstarch in trays of 1,200 individual molds and moves them along a conveyor belt as a triangle-shaped air nozzle nixes extra cornstarch and layers of white, orange, and yellow liquids are injected in that order. The pieces are cooled polished and shipped out and that's how we make candy corn these days a candy that was at first something for farmers to take pleasure in and has failed to become part of the consumer machine thank you very much so i want to thank time magazine national geographic and history.com for that fun info have a lovely rest of your holiday